the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey guys, it's Morgan. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm coming at you live from Israel once again, just like last episode. I'm going to be here for a little bit longer. And yes, I am definitely paying attention to safety concerns. Don't worry, I'm not actually posting these episodes the day or the day after I record them. So my location is still unknown. As I film them, I kind of like to talk about the current location that I'm in at the time so that I can give you guys some fresh takes. Um, But I am in Jerusalem right now. Specifically, I've been spending a lot of time in the old city. And it's fascinating. I mean, seeing the Jewish quarter, the Christian quarter, the Muslim quarter, and there's four quarters total. This has been insane. I mean, today, even, I was I, I was kind of telling you guys last episode that seeing all of this is fascinating, but what I really have been loving is seeing the actual locations of where very important biblical moments took place, not just because of the immensity of that location, but also because it's cool to visualize. It's cool to finally see it. And it's helpful to help paint uh, an image in my mind of what was really happening and what it really looked like back then. So the thing that I told you last time was about the Sea of Galilee, where I thought it was this big, expansive sea. And by that, I mean like ocean type situation where you can't see the other side. I mean, if you've seen The Chosen, which is a really great show that I recommend you guys watch, uh, when they show the scenes where they're on the Sea of Galilee, it looks like a huge thing. You can't even see the other side of the water. But when you go in real life, the Sea of Galilee, you guys, is a lake, okay? And by that, I mean a fairly small lake that technically I feel like if you're if you're walking on water and you fall in and you get a little nervous, I have a feeling you might, you know, if you're in a good shape, you could swim to the other side and swim to shore. But we were having some jokes about that of, you know, this doesn't seem like that dangerous of a situation if you fall in to just work your way, doggy paddle, swim on your back over to shore. Uh, but seeing the Sea of Galilee was awesome. Same thing with how Sea of Galilee is named that way, but it's really a lake. All the mountains that we see are, for the most part, most of the mountains, I should say, where you hear stories of, of Jesus going to the top of the mountain to think and and to do X, Y, Z. They're actually more like hills, okay? So it's more of a hilly land. And then there's also um, mountains on the edges when you can look over. But for the most part, when you hear about the biblical mountains, they're hills. Uh, so now we're in Jerusalem. We've traveled down from Sea of Galilee. We went through, um, we went to visit this place called Land of Genesis, where <laughs> Abraham, this guy dressed up like Abraham, welcomes you. You ride a camel down to this little place where it's his hut that he built, and he feeds you with the food of the time, and you sit down on these mats on the floor, and the table is very low. So that was a cool cultural experience. But now we're in Jerusalem, and it's been wonderful. So I'll tell you a little bit about that as we get into the episode. And then so much is happening in the country as well that I want to touch on. So we've got a lot to discuss today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys know I really, really appreciate that you support the show and that you tune in for updates on what the heck is going on these days and the important connections that I try to make for you guys in terms of providing solutions or providing a proper analysis of the historical context of what we face today, because that is certainly lacking 
when you consider the inflammatory political talk that you see these days. But with all that being said, let's get on into the show. guys, before we get into the topic, I just want to remind you that if you go to my Instagram, you guys can see the tutorial for how I use my product from Vara Safety that I've been loving in terms of storing an immediately accessible firearm in my home in a safe manner. I've been using my Reach 2S Safe from Vara Safety for the last few months now that I'm in my new place, and it has become an everyday tool for my concealed carry. So when I get ready to head out, I choose my concealed carry method for the day and then simply grab my gun out of the reach. It unlocks as I grab the gun because my thumb lines up onto the fingerprint sensor. So I don't have to fumble around with a big safe or put in a combination or anything like that. It just makes it very easy to carry every day. And if, God forbid, anything ever happened, I'd have immediate access and no issues. So that's the big thing. I get a lot of questions about the reliability of this, but I can tell you now the reliability of what I have, which is the Reach 2S. It's been incredible, okay? I've had no problems. I have locked and unlocked this thing hundreds of times at this point, maybe even thousands at this point, to be honest. And it has not failed a single time, okay? The team at Varo created their own fingerprint processing platform, and it has been perfected over the last three generations of their product. So if you guys want one too, I think every home needs to have one because it's a really great solution, especially for families. You can get yours at varasafety.com. That's varasafety.com. And their social media is varasafety as well. They put out some fun videos, by the way. Okay, you guys, so... Lots has happened today when I was in Jerusalem, and I want to tell you a little bit about it, and then we'll get into the topics regarding American politics that have been going on. But the last thing I did today, it was really cool. We went to the tunnel that was dug under the city of David when way, way thousands of years ago, they were concerned about an incoming invasion, and their water source was outside of the city walls. And so they built the tunnel underneath. They literally chiseled with their hands, a tiny little chisel in all these slaves' hands, chiseled away at a tunnel under the city. And it took them about three years to build the waterway so that the water could travel under the city gate, under the city, and do a pool. Turns out that they later found a large pool on the inside of the city gates where the water would lead to. And it was kind of the community area to gather your water. So really big steps. Apparently it was like the size of two Olympic pools, apparently. It's not all been um, dug up and excavated because of political and religious reasons. You know, I mean, it's Jerusalem, right? So we got a lot of different players in this. But one side of it has been revealed. And we were all sitting on those steps. And it turns out that that area of the pool of water where the community would come is actually the same pool that our guide was explaining to us was the place where Jesus placed mud onto the eyes of the blind man and told the man to wash his eyes, wash the mud from his eyes in that water. Whoa. So that happened there. We also did a few other things. And one of the things that just has been weighing on my heart was the trip to the Holocaust Museum. Now, I'm not going to give you a Holocaust 101 because I want you guys to do that yourselves. Check out Israel's Holocaust Museum. It has um, a Hebrew name that I just, to be honest, don't want to mispronounce right now. Uh, and I know that I'm going to, and I don't want to be disrespectful. So Israel's Holocaust Museum, if you Google that, the website will come up and you'll be able to see 
how many resources they have. But the intensity of that location was, I've, I've never felt something like it. And I was pretty good throughout the whole museum. I was honestly upset about a different thing that I heard news of in my you know, more personal life kind of situation. So, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. I was so moved by the museum that by the end of it, of course, I'm in tears. And so is pretty much everybody else, or at least the women, right? What happened towards the end is what I want to talk to you guys about, because there, there were some really cool sections. There was the propaganda that showed the early stages of it. There was the sections that showed how they actually implemented the Holocaust. And then there was the stories about what happened at the tail end of it and how they eventually were able to create the state of Israel. And that's not because of the Holocaust. I should keep, you know, let you guys know that a lot of people have that misconception that, you know, the Holocaust happened and people felt bad. And so they created the state of Israel. No, the state of Israel is the reestablishment of the Jewish state that had been there thousands of years before that they had been yearning to come back to for so, so long. And for many reasons that hadn't happened. But in 1948, the state of Israel was recreated. And I, I could never possibly in one podcast episode explain what the heck happened between then and now, or especially the thousands of years that led up to this uh, hot moment that we're facing today. But the fact that the state of Israel did not exist during and before the Holocaust is really one of the main reasons why the Holocaust even happened. Because Jews were minorities in such tiny ways, point something percent in the European countries, except for Poland, about 10% in Poland, about 3 million Jews in Poland. But in Germany, 0.8% of the population. I don't know how much you guys know about this, but when Hitler was coming to power, when the Nazis were coming to power in World War II, they had said, Jews, you gotta go. We recommend you leave. But how serious do you take a threat like that, right? So the language was just go go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. And I'm giving you a simplified version. That didn't really happen because where are you going to go? Unfortunately, including America, the countries of the world looked at this situation and then the years after it as things got worse and worse for the Jews in Germany and then in Poland and then in many other countries, they said, no, we don't want them. We can't take them. We're full. And I'm not talking about, I mean, it's crazy because look at what's happening at our border now, right? But I'm talking about if you look at 0.8% of the population of Germany, they're being told to leave. And the world is saying, no, we can't possibly make room for that amount of people, which it could have been done. The world turned their face, their eyes from the situation and rejected taking in the Jews when the first warning signs were really there. And as things got worse, they did the same. There's a document apparently from American officials talking about how we need to do everything we can to make it difficult to create roadblocks for Jews trying to get to us, to our country, because we don't want them there. Finding out more and more about how our government has behaved has been shocking. I will say, I think a lot of us it's not that we had the wool pulled over our eyes for too long, but we're realizing, you know, we're far from perfect. Our government, I love our country, but our government is a mess. Our government is despicable in many ways. And I, hearing the information of how things went down the way we were learning them in public school versus 
the facts, uh, it's a little concerning. You know, we hear in public school, the world turned their eye from, turned their cheek from, from the Jews as they were being oppressed by Hitler. And then it became worse and worse. And then the Holocaust happened. But we don't really learn very much about how, oh, wait, it was our own American politicians. And it was a very direct rejection. It wasn't just a, uh, I'm going to cover my eyes because I don't want to see such a thing. It was, no, it was quite an aggressive and direct denial, rejection that we don't want to be involved in this and we don't want to participate in allowing you to come. We turned people away. Okay, you guys got to cut in and let you know that MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. And now Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. So the Percale and Giza Dream Bed Sheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are now on sale, get this, for as low as $29.98 with my listener promo code MORGAN. Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. Okay. I use these sheets, you guys. I'm really liking them. Like I said, I just moved into a new place. So I got a lot of my stuff renewed, including my sheets. And I've really been loving the MyPillow ones. So use code Morgan for the discount on the Percale and Giza Dream sheets. They're breathable. They have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Do not miss out on this incredible offer. This is a limited supply. So be sure to order now. Call one 800 738 8374. Use promo code Morgan or go to mypillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use promo code Morgan. Thanks, guys. So, with that being said, the Jews really had nowhere to go. And if they had had their country, the state of Israel, if they had had that existing at the time, they could have gone to their country and they wouldn't have been a minority in another country. They could have gone to their, their homeland. And the fact that that didn't exist, but now it does, is powerful and it is purposeful. So there's a few connections that can be made. The next thing that I want to say about this is it's not like all of a sudden Israel is created after the Holocaust and the Jews that get liberated are safe and free and welcomed by others. In fact, apparently at the time, because not all the information was known and because things were still fresh and there wasn't this historic aspect when viewing the Holocaust. In the years following the Holocaust, apparently a lot of the sentiment was, why didn't you guys run? Why did you walk yourselves like lambs to the slaughter? Why didn't you resist? But as more and more information came out over the years, and as this became more of an event in history, more so than, oh, something that happened a few years ago and you know it was war and it was messy and blah, 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 it became more clear of, you know, people tried, they did their best. And some abhorrent things happen. But what's even harder to hear is, first of all, a lot of the Jews that escaped, a lot of the people that escaped Nazi Germany and or at least were freed by it, by the the Soviets, they ended up just being put under communist control. And I love hearing those stories because, I mean, it's like triumph after triumph after triumph, struggle after struggle, struggle, then triumph, struggle, then triumph. But a lot of them, they escape, they flee. They are freed, right, from the concentration camps. And they say, okay, we are going to go to our homeland. We are going to make it there. We are going to go to Israel. Well, Israel was under British control at the time, and it was still named Palestine. Long story short, the British are not exactly keen on saying like, yeah, let's just let a a 
random number, who knows how many Jews start moving into this area that we control. And they were turning them around, rejecting them when they got to Israel's shores, or get this, putting them into detainee camps when they got to the shores of Israel. Now, I'll talk to you guys about this in the future, but imagine going through a concentration camp, even a death camp in Nazi Germany, and surviving, and then thinking that you're going to the land of your people because you finally made it through all of this. The land of your people has finally been reestablished as Israel, and you're going there finally after all of this. You show up. The British capture you off off of the shore and then call you an illegal immigrant because they began to put major restrictions after saying that we actually wanted to help you start a state for Israel. They went back on their word and then said, we're actually going to limit the numbers. And if you come, you're an illegal immigrant. We're going to seize you. They take everybody, the Jews, put them into detainee camps in Israel and put them through the same horrific process. And by that, I just, I don't mean the same process as the Nazi concentration camps, but think of entering a camp similar to a concentration camp. They went through the same process of undressing, giving up their mementos with their clothes, and then even being showered with DDT, which is now banned because it causes massive harm to your body. You go through that same process You have a few pictures maybe in your clothes of the family members that you lost. I mean, a picture of somebody back then was expensive and valuable and and something that was cherished. Those things are in your clothes. You put your clothes, as you're getting sprayed with DDT, you put your clothes into this steam cleaning facility situation and all of your, your pictures of your loved ones that were killed in the Holocaust that you survived are destroyed. Now, The experience for some gave them PTSD, traumatized them once again. And I think the best explanation of this is done. Somebody was describing it to me as it's not as if they were Nazi Germany trying to harm these people and get rid of these people. and, And they didn't intend to hurt them physically or mentally but it was definitely insensitive to put these people through that situation because some of these people escaped those camps in Nazi Germany in you know, Nazi controlled Europe and then were put into these detainee camps for years, years until Israel became its own country in 1948 because the war ends and there's a few years in between that. Imagine having that experience. So it's best described as insensitive because for some it was like, oh my gosh, we're doing it again. You don't know what's going to happen. But then to others, they were saying, I was just thankful to step onto the land of my people. And hearing those two different perspectives, I mean, it's difference in personality, it's it's difference in experience, but it's it shows that there's so much diversity in the experience of people in this time. So with that being said, I went to the Holocaust Museum and there was so much information. And what I really wanted to just share with you guys that I I took away from this was the end section about the children. Now, they were explaining that, especially at the death camps, when you arrive and you walk right in to be killed, you don't know what's about to happen. So there's plenty of pictures of people that are loading up onto a wagon or in a train car with their belongings. They're, they're, they're putting a chair that they think they're moving their furniture with, right? 
They're putting a chair into a wagon, thinking that they're just moving all of their possessions and small pieces of furniture with them to the next location, because that's what the Nazi Germany camp leaders would tell them, all the people that were forcing them one direction or the other. The intention was to make sure that they didn't know what was about to happen to them and just make it a clean process. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to describe it like that, but that's how the Nazis wanted the process to go and they would show their leadership, look at how efficient we've made this process. They would have fake train stations outside of the death camps to make it seem like, oh, we just arrived at a train station that the clock would have painted on hour and minute hands. There would be signs as you entered into the camp, as you're told to undress that said, we are not responsible for any lost belongings. Keep your things, you know, stored tightly. That's as you're making people give up their clothing and their belongings. What they're walking into after they leave those doors is a gas chamber. But even up until that moment before they walk in, when they're stripping down naked, they are seeing fake signs that say, hey, you know, Make sure you're storing up your stuff nice in this locker or in your shelf because we're not responsible if it gets lost by the time you get back. Think about that. All this stuff is happening. Now, the story that hit me as we're learning about the children was how when you walked in, often the people staffing the death camps were actually Jewish young men. You know, the young men that were strong were, were plucked and they were used as slaves to maintain the camps and often to carry the bodies out of the gas chambers. The young women who were also considered fit and young and healthy were often saved too. So the elderly and the children really got it the most. And so the men that were working at the entrances of the camps, they knew it was going to happen to these people that were walked like cattle through these gates and into right into the building. And so they would try and save who they could. And what they figured out is if they told young women who were carrying their children to hand their children to their elderly parents that were with them or, you know, their, their aunts, their uncles, their parents, any of the older members of their family that were going to die either way. They knew the kids were going to die and the elderly were going to die. And so they would tell the, the, the girls, just hand over your kids. And the girls had no idea what was about to happen. So they would hand over their little kids. And then the little kids and the elderly would get killed and the young women would get escorted away. So this happened to one couple where they had gotten separated. They went through the camps. The girl got separated from her child. She gave her child to her mother. Her mother and her child were killed. Her and her husband ended up surviving the camp, leaving to America after the war was over. They had two more children and then they decided to honor the son that they lost and his statue or more of a, a carving of his face is there at the children's memorial at the location of the Holocaust museum there. And they decided that they wanted to do something to honor the children that were lost. And so that's what I went to. And what I found really, really interesting, first of all, it was beautiful and everybody cried at it because you walk in and, and they don't tell you this, but I found out later there's five candles and there are so many mirrors and they're angled at such a unique way that the reflections of these five candles make the pitch black room that you walk into look as if it is glowing with thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of little flames of candles. 
Now, some look big, some look small. It, it, there is so much depth to the room because of the mirrors. It was so powerful. And as you're walking through this pitch black room with all these thousands of candle flames, you're hearing the names and the ages of the children that were killed. 1.5 million children were killed in the concentration camps by Nazi Germany. So that family wanted to honor those children specifically. And I thought it was really beautiful. But when you think of that happening to a people, when you think of a major fraction of that population being exterminated, Nazi Germany didn't want them to exist by the end of their work. They, they wanted them to be wiped off of the face of the earth. They killed 1.5 million children at least. I mean, the children that were born after documents were stopped in terms of uh, keeping documents and birth certificates and all that stuff. After everything went to crap, you don't know how many kids were born and how many kids were actually walked through those camps. Those were just the ones that were documented. And think of all the women that were pregnant or had babies that had just been born that certainly weren't documented. So when you know that a group of, of other people wanted to stop your people from ever existing again, they wanted to eliminate the existence of them, something really powerful happens when you are able to rebuild from that and expand families. And so, like I said, a large fraction of the Jewish population in the world was eliminated. I believe it was two-thirds of European Jews, one-third of the world's population of Jews, gone. When you create the state of Israel, not only are you creating a place where Jews could finally go and seek refuge. I thought it was funny. I met an, an IDF soldier and we asked him, what's your message to American Jews compared to the ones that you are, are with here? And he said, come, live here. This is your home. Now, that is their message. They believe the Jews should go to their homeland because it's not just a religion. It's, it's a nationality. It is a race. It is a people. That pride in your homeland is very, very respected by me. So not only do you have the creation of the state of Israel and you have that place where people could now seek refuge, because now if the world ever turns an, an eye again to something like this, God forbid that ever happens, they have a place that would actually accept them. And it's their homeland. It's where they could go. They don't have to live as minorities in other countries anymore. And they don't have to be subjected to that. I believe what one person described it as, never again should a Jewish person be put into a corner of, do I die fighting and screaming and going out, blades of glory, right? Or do I just die by complying and, and doing what I'm told walking right in? Do I put up a little bit of a fight or do I not put up a fight and I just do it because I know what the end is? That's the situation that they were really facing. And he said, never again do I want my people to face that. That was powerful. On top of all of this, we now have a situation where after such a mess, you are able to see the rise of young generations of Jews, of Israelis. And it's powerful. And so as you leave the museum, there's a message about how this couple and, and the other people that supported the creation of this children's memorial, it says they saw the extermination of the Jews, the attempt of the extermination of all the Jews, and 1.5 million Jewish children or so. But then they lived to see the end of the war, the creation of the state of Israel, and the birth of millions of Jewish 
and Israeli children. And wow, if that doesn't inspire you, then I don't know what does. Because you, there's something to be said about that. I have a lot of people these days that say the state of the, the nation, the state of the world is so scary, Morgan. What do I do about my concern to have children? And this was such a positive message that children are hope, that children are the future. And even another step of that is they've learned their lesson, that's for sure. Every child in the IDF, every child in Israel, that's Jewish at least, the Arabs don't have to do this. But when you turn 18 after high school, when you graduate, you join the military of Israel. The men serve for three years required, women two years. When you're 16, still in high school, the military is already evaluating you, trying to see your skills, your, your, where you have your successes, your weaknesses, your strengths, I should say, your personality, how you get along with others, all these different factors. And they're trying to see where you could best serve the country because the country could disappear at any moment and they know that. And their lives could be at stake again any moment and they know that. And they raise their children up with the understanding that their homeland must be protected, their culture their way of life, their traditions, their religion, their God must be protected. And the children are proud to join. And they understand their role in the keeping of their country. I highly respect that. Now, when you hear people talk about the IDF, apparently that's why they what they also call the children of Israel. So when you hear protect the children of Israel, they actually mean the IDF soldiers. They mean the soldiers, the military of Israel, because it's young These babies, I swear you guys, I see them all over the place. They're so little. They're so young. They're 18 years old. I'm 25, but I look at them and I go, oh my gosh, they aren't middle schoolers. It's no offense to them. I'm not saying that they're actually like little kids, but they look so young compared to what you would usually imagine a military to look like. Now, I find it powerful that they respect their children, their young generations enough And they respect the threat and the fragility of their nation and of their structure of government and of their religion to be able to have peace and a place on their homeland. They respect all of the aspects that come with protecting these things enough to place a burden, a responsibility onto the shoulders of their youth. I think young people in America, I mean, you look at how coddled we've been. People talk about participation trophies. They joke about these things all the time, and it makes complete sense. There's a reason why they do these things. Now, I know that that was a long rant about uh, quite a sad topic, but I tell you this because we are facing hard times. Hard times have always been here in human history. And to see a population of people that could easily claim a victim card, the way the left always likes to do, right? victimhood is the new fad, right? It's the new thing. I mean, you're cool. The more victim status uh, things that you can list off in your bio, the better you are, the cooler you are, the more popular you are. The people of Israel and Jews could easily lay down some of the biggest victim cars that you see, but instead they raised up a beautiful home. They raised up a beautiful country. And they are rebuilding, not only with buildings, but with families. They are proud to have so many kids and they are doing it with the intention of increasing the number of their people because they're proud to pass down their heritage and their family line. And I think that that is just wonderful. Okay. I think that that is just wonderful. So 
it also plays into this this anti-family rhetoric that we see, how we're told to not even be excited about having kids anymore. You see these pro-family, pro-country, pro-God narratives in Israel in a very healthy and respectable way. Now, I will say as well, there's a difference in cultures, okay? So when we talk about building up a country, not a lot of people, not a lot of um, populations of people can build up a nation very successfully, right? Especially, I mean, this started in 1948. So it's a big task to do this as such a a new baby nation because they've really only been around for little bits compared to a lot of the rest of us. I mean, America is still a baby nation if you think about it. But they have been successful for many reasons, and one of them is their culture versus other cultures. A good example of this, and I, I mean, I feel horrible. So I went up to, um, went to the Golan Heights, and then we went up as well to some other spots along the northern border of Israel, where you look out from one point and you can see the border between Lebanon and Israel, and then you look out from another point and you can see the border uh, between Syria and Israel. And looking out into Syria, I've got to say, it's interesting. The border, when you're on the hill, you look out and you can see the border down below and it's quite distinct. And I want you to guess why. Looking out over this huge valley, you're on top of a mountain, you're looking down at the valley and and so many lives had been lost in that area, by the way. I mean, it is so historic. You're looking out at the valley and you can easily tell where Israel ends. And that's because it's fertile, The fields are full of crops, lush, green agriculture. It's an agricultural community down in that valley. And all of a sudden it stops at one line. And from then on, you see nothing but brown until the horizon. Nothing but brown and broken down buildings. And one of the biggest factors that some people just can't seem to get into their heads is the fact that people have different cultures, different views of the world. And some cultures are just incompatible with the structure and coordination and organization that is needed to keep a healthy and sustainable society. Looking into Syria was quite saddening. And I feel very bad for those people. Same with Lebanon, because Lebanon is basically controlled by Hezbollah. It was I saw an outpost of the Hezbollah that took over because the government of Lebanon is so weak. But you can easily see the differences. Same thing while I'm here looking at the different quarters. I'm in Jerusalem. I'm looking at the different east versus west Jerusalem. You can tell where different people live and how different people keep their communities and their homes. And that's such an important thing to learn because I've heard the stories of veterans sent over by America with the the narrative that we were protecting our freedom protecting Americans, defending American freedom. They're sent over to the Middle East, to a country that will never accept democracy, that will never accept doing things like educating a girl. And they're told, hey, in the middle of this random outpost, this town that is near you, we need you to go and start a school and try and get them to let the girls go in too while you're at it. Let's bring some Western values and democracy to them. It just won't work sometimes. And perhaps we would all benefit if we remained with a healthy peace through strength mentality and agenda 
but we also accepted human nature and the fact that many humans, many societies are different from each other. And there's some things that you just can't force. That's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned here is that there's just a big difference. And guess what? You want me to talk about Palestine? Try driving from a Jewish town in Israel through Palestine then and comparing the two. There is a cultural difference and it is massive. I'll talk about that a little later. There's one last thing that I want to talk to you guys about. Actually, there's more. Let's move on because another thing happened today when I was in Jerusalem, you guys. And it's the fact that my tour guide, lovely David, David said, you know, I like to take my tour groups up and I know that you guys would love this too. I like to take them up to the American embassy, the embassy that President Trump established in Jerusalem. Because unfortunately, the left in our country, they have a hard time supporting the Jews. They have a hard time supporting Israel. It's insane because they say that, oh, the whole right wing of America is Nazis, but then they're the ones that can't stand the thought of an Israel. They want to get rid of Israel as a whole. And they certainly don't want the capital to be established in the American mentality and agenda as Jerusalem. They don't want to acknowledge that. And so they really don't want to do something like put an embassy, an American embassy in Jerusalem, because that means that we consider Jerusalem to be the capital. Because there's a lot of politics, especially between us and Muslims, the Arab countries. So President Trump gets put in office and he makes the big move that, in my opinion, seems common sense because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And he moves the embassy of America into Jerusalem. Bada bing, bada boom. Very simple. On the outside of this embassy is a plaque. And David likes to bring his American tours to this plaque to take pictures. Simple enough. The plaque says something about President Trump. I'll read it quickly. The sign says, Embassy, United States of America, Jerusalem, Israel. Donald J. Trump, President. Michael R. Pence, Vice President. Dedicated by David Friedman, Ambassador to the State of Israel. May 14, 2018. Many people have taken pictures with this. It was a very famous site after it especially happened. Um, but David brings everybody there to take pictures. You just can't go in. You can't take pictures of the building is what they usually say. Just the sign. So we all get out there and we go to take pictures. And all of a sudden, a bunch of Arab guards run out and start yelling at us like aggressively and start saying, demanding, you cannot take pictures. It's a new rule. You cannot take pictures. And we're like, what? You can't take pictures of the wall? And David, who's a passionate, let's just say that, passionate man, he even gets mad. He's like, what are you talking about? I've been doing this for a very long, I've been doing this for a long time. I bring everybody here. And now all of a sudden you're saying I can't? Why can they not? And he is even sensing the political drive for why this would happen. He's saying, why am I not allowed to have them take pictures here? And the Arab guards of the American embassy of Jerusalem say, we do not know why. This was a decision by the administration of the embassy, the leadership of the embassy. So Joe Biden's administration in the embassy. And they said no more pictures in front of this as of now. So keep in mind, you guys, I'm, I'm here with Turning Point USA, which is a, a more conservative student group focusing on conservatism, free market values, limited government. So it's a little weird. And what it seems to me is that as we enter election season, one of the biggest voting blocks in America is the evangelical Christians 
And by that, I mean, it's also one of the, I think, the biggest voting block of the GOP. The establishment of the embassy in Jerusalem was a huge thing for the right. And for a lot of Christians that are also on the left. Right ahead of the midterms, and as we enter the 2024, and as they continue their radically divisive messaging, I truly believe that there was a reason politically why we are no longer allowed to take pictures of a plaque that has our former president's name on it outside of the city of Jerusalem's embassy for the United States. I I truly believe that this is a dirty, dirty political game to prevent pictures being shared of this ahead of the elections. Prevent them from being reminded, the people from being reminded of what happened there, of what President Trump did with his bold leadership in this department. It's disgusting. And so I said, well, I'll just tell everybody about it then and they'll get the idea. Because if they did it so that we wouldn't be able to share these pictures and we could keep this issue on the down low before the midterms, I certainly actually want to twist it and remind everybody what happened. I am shocked at the lack of backbone that our presidents, our leadership has had regarding Israel for a very long time. Did you know we fund both Palestine and Israel with our taxpayer dollars? Did you know that our taxpayer dollars basically fund terrorism against Israel? I know that we're mostly Christian. But the land of Israel is so deeply tied to Christianity as well. It's not just a Jewish state. This is the land where Jesus walked. Christians have a deep tie, not just to the New Testament, but to the Old Testament. And there is a collaboration that should be taking place between Christians and Jews to protect the Holy Land from evil forces. And the fact that it took President Trump in 2018 to finally make some decisive moves is astonishing. President Trump basically, I think almost nearly, put an end to the payments to Palestine to fund their disgusting behavior. And it was President Biden who, as soon as he got in office, began paying them again with U.S. taxpayer dollars. And now they attack Israelis. Now they attack the Jews again. So it's quite shocking to me. It's quite shocking and it's quite disgusting and it's quite frustrating. Now, that being said, uh, before I head out, you guys, I know I'm doing a lot of Israel stuff lately. I had a bunch of political topics I wanted to talk about, but we're going to have to wait till the next episode. Oh, my gosh. Okay, and before I head out, you guys, you know what? We're going to just talk about the politics stuff later. I got filming thinking we were going to have time. We don't have time. We got to talk about Israel and all the beautiful things here. And then once I'm out of Israel mode, we'll get back to politics. Tomorrow, I did want to let you guys know this is pretty pretty cool information. We're going to the Temple Mount tomorrow, which is basically one of the most controversial places on this world. You have three religions, very passionate people from all sides that believe this small area, this dot on the map, is one of the most important pieces to their fundamental faith. All of us, the same locations. (laughs) So you can imagine how tense and fragile the relationships are at these areas. So we got access. We got approval to go to the Temple Mount tomorrow. Apparently it's quite difficult to do what we did in 
this specific situation, but we're going. And I was told no Bibles, Morgan, because we're going to also do a few other things. And I like to bring my Bible and take pictures of the Bible verse when we're in the actual location and just read the Bible verses that mention that specific location while I'm there and really soak it in. So no Bibles, religious text, stuff like that, because keep in mind, you guys, the Muslims control the Temple Mount right now. They built a mosque on top of the structure that had the Jewish temple. And basically, the entire area, I don't know if you guys knew this, the entire area is is where Jesus walked and where Jesus was put to trial and where he was sent to be crucified. And then he walks from this area out to where he is actually crucified. And we're going to walk that trail tomorrow as well. But all of these things happen at the same time. Now there is a mosque on top of the platform where the Jewish temple was. There was a lot going on, right? So we're going, they said, don't bring any religious text. If you're going to wear your cross, please tuck it into your dress, dress down to your ankles, cover your elbows. No pork. Apparently one of the guests in a previous group brought like pork jerky on accident. Yikes. Um, almost starting World War Three there. And another interesting rule is no intimate behavior. Now they mean like don't hold hands and stuff like that. But also if I'm going to take a picture with one of my guy friends that are here, like John or anything, um, John Root, Joe Bob, uh, everybody's here right now, then we cannot be touching elbows or arms or anything in the picture. We can't be physically touching. So I'm really interested to see how this goes. I will report back to you guys tomorrow. And with that being said, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me share my stories about this place. It's been really special and I'm just trying to communicate as much as I can. I know there's a lot of information that I'm leaving out, but I'm just trying to let you guys know and really pass on some information and some experiences in case you guys don't ever get to go or if you're excited to go and you kind of want to see what it's like and get a little teaser. But I hope you guys have a good rest of the week. I'll talk to you guys next time. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.